If we really do believe that not only will one day all things be made new, but if the Revelation 21 image is the one who's on the throne saying, behold, I am making all things new, that this is something that is already underway that we're invited to participate in. And as long as I'm just thinking about me, my little part of making all things new, yeah, that's good and I'm thankful for it. But there's so much more that God is calling me and calling his people for such a time as this. Welcome to season two of the Shades of Hope podcast. These are frank conversations between two friends who are committed to the role of the church in the work of racial justice. These conversations will help you understand how Jesus's life and ministry were about justice for all people and will inspire you to actively engage in the work of reconciliation and justice wherever you find yourself. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Shades of Hope. My name is Jeff Krajewski, and I'm here with my good friend, Dr. Moore, Dr. Clarence Moore from New Era Church. And the thing that I've really appreciated about season two is the opportunity that we've had to bring in friends that we've developed relationships with over the years and that we've had these kinds of conversations with over the years. And today, Dr. Moore, we have the opportunity to have another one of our friends join us. Absolutely. This has been an exciting season, I will agree, getting different perspectives from across the spectrum of life. And today we have one of, you know, I'm beginning to call him one of my spiritual sons. Mm -hmm. He is a part of what we are kind of developing, a Shades of Hope pastoral collaboration. And we are excited to have Pastor Todd Fisher with us on today. And so, hey, Pastor Todd, we want you, young man, to kind of introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about you, and we're glad you're here today. Well, Pastor Moore, it is such an honor for you to use that sort of language, because I definitely look to you as a spiritual father, and that God has brought us into each other's lives has been such a blessing. And it would be fitting that my spiritual father connection comes from a spiritual brother. And so mm-hmm. yeah, uh, Pastor Moore is very much pastor. The other guy that you're talking to is just Jeff. So, <laughs> hey, Jeff. That's right. That's right. And we also have to be fully disclosing about the length of our friendship. We've known each other mm-hmm. all the way back into high school. Mm-hmm. And it has just been a privilege for me to, what I would say, grow up in our ministry callings together. We have pastor churches in the same area for about the same amount of time. So yeah, I'm just really glad you were agreeable to join us today. Awesome. Well, it is my great honor to be here. So yeah, as Jeff says, we've known each other for some time now. He grew up just north of the border of 96th Street. I lived on 96th Street as a kid, so I grew up on the south side of the street, went to Pike High School, went to IUPUI for college just down the road from here, have lived actually within blocks of here multiple times in different areas around the neighborhood near the New Era Church. And I'm an Indianapolis guy. I've moved away on multiple occasions, and each time the Lord brings me back. So I moved to, I think for the first time, I moved away to Romania. That's a first 
big step away and then moved wow. to Boston for a while. Most recently, I was living in London. But time and again, the Lord calls me back to Indianapolis, and this is the primary place where I've been involved in ministry. And as Jeff says, it was about 18 years ago that I planted a church that for a season was using the common ground church building. And eventually, I don't know if I would say that we squeezed them out. We made them feel <laughs> uncomfortable in their own house, but they eventually moved and that church took over the building pastored that church for 12 years and then moved overseas and then have been back for about four years now and not long after returning planted a new church and we are also in the broader pool area great todd when you moved to london you moved specifically for a church planting endeavor that included moving to nairobi yes we are talking about racial justice in the united states in particular but you have a viewpoint that comes from a different ethnic sort of angle. Could you just share a little bit about the experience of moving your family to Nairobi for, I think we were there for nine months, a year? So we were in Nairobi for six months, but the time in Nairobi was specifically unto us moving to London to plant a multicultural, international, intentionally from the ground up leadership involved expression of the body of Christ in London. And so the time in Nairobi was to work with a team of young leaders, all of whom are still in and ministering in London. And the team that we were ministering alongside in London was a very international team as well. So the folks from Nairobi, were they African descent, the ministers in that arena? Oh, yeah. They were all of Kenyan descent. Kenyan descent. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So that's an interesting place to start because it seems to me in that arena, justice is really not on the table. Now I'm looking at it from an African-American pastor point of view. It really was more about the ecclesia, the body of Christ. But uh, you talked to me about that, Todd. Were you all sensitive to the fact that across the world, people of black and brown cultures, in essence, have been discriminated against. Was that part of your purpose, or was it just more of a, a body of Christ move? I will definitely say that from my naive perspective, when about seven years ago I was invited to be a part of, actually to lead this international multicultural expression, I definitely did have a sense that even in London, which I believe hmm, in some ways is ahead of the United States, but also has a different set of problems and issues. As an aside, if I might recommend Small Acts, A-X, it's a series of short films on Amazon about racism and injustice in London going back to the 1960s and 70s. Wow. So they have their own story of injustice. But I think it was about 11 years ago, my family and I did a sabbatical in London and during our time there, we saw some really beautiful expressions of the body of Christ. You know, one of those revelation, throne room of heaven, every tribe and nation gathered to worship. Yeah. That you don't necessarily see very often in the United States. And that was such an encouraging thing for us. And specifically for my family, my wife is of Chinese heritage. Mm -hmm. Right. And 
one of our intents in spending the time in London was for our children to be exposed to a truly cosmopolitan city in the sense that the world has come together there in London. And again, they have their issues, but they're slightly different than our issues. So we were blessed to worship in multicultural expressions in London. However, we did notice that in a number of the situations that we found ourselves in, while we might be among the nations, the nations were not necessarily represented from the front. Uh, and so uh, some of our heart was from the ground up, leadership team, be it whoever's um, speaking, whoever is involved in making decisions about what the actual worship gathering looks like, is that there would be representation of multiple voices. So some of the initial stirring came from my own immediate family's longing to be part of an expression that looked like my immediate family. I also have extended family of African-American heritage. So there's always been a stirring to be in a worship context that looked like my own family, mm. a family of God gathering together. Yeah. And so that was some of the impetus to get over there to London. But I will say that the answer to your question that was posed to me before this time, as far as when did I personally recognize the need to address racial injustice in my own life, I was woefully naive, both in our time in Nairobi, woefully naive in understanding how our Kenyan brothers and sisters had been on the receiving end of injustice in a colonial sense, right. and also woefully naive about what it would take to bring such a diverse group of people together in an expression of the body of Christ for worship. And while the ministry that we are involved in is ongoing, and I'm very hopeful for it, I think in many ways it was God's grace to the people in London to bring us back because there was so much work that I needed to do. And it has been for such a time as this that I've, over this last year and a half, truly been awakened <laughs> to, yeah. to so much more of what needs to be addressed, not just in the American history of racism, but in my own unaddressed, racially motivated, intertwined sin as well. Well, being very transparent here, I talked about your extended family. I think you grew up with a African-American female in your home I actually at have some point. two siblings, both of African-American heritage. My brother passed away, it must have been about 12 years ago, but I do have a baby sister. Well, yeah. she's, she's not a baby anymore. She's a young lady. <laughs> and her husband and their daughter and that part of our family that God has blessed us with. Wow. And so you're such an intriguing story for me as a white young man with a heart for God, but yet also a heart for justice. And you make the statement, which I think we all are, we're all like on the potter's wheel. We're all being formed. And I feel sometimes, Pastor Todd, that I fall off of the potter's wheel and God pick me up and put me back on. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I get angry at our culture. I get angry mm. at white folk. Mm. And so God has to kind of take me off and kind of reform me and keep me moving in a direction. 
And so don't think for a moment that any of us have arrived. We're all a kind of in process. But having men like you and Pastor Jeff in my sphere of relationships, such an incredible blessing in the twilight of my ministry. So as you are in this discovery mode, this learning mode, you talked about the fact that, you know, we hear this terminology, which is a negative context. This thing about being woke. I think it's a positive mm. con- I think it's a positive thing that we start waking up about the historicity of racism in this country. And so as a white male, but also as a white pastor, what's that challenge in your own church in trying to bring your congregation along with where your heart is? Oh, wow. Well, along with you, I do want to embrace this idea of waking up. And I almost feel like it's the sinister thing that has taken that word away. Because in many ways, I would say even more than being asleep to the realities of just the depth of the brokenness and the injustice in our culture and my complicity, my life's being intertwined with it, I would say that I feel like I've come from death to life, right? Praise God, yes. So if I have a problem with the word woke, it's that I don't presume to believe that I'm actually there yet. I long to be woke and more awakened. I feel like I might still be drowsily just, you know, coming to. So I do embrace that language. And as that overlaps with my ministry, I think that my people are perhaps becoming tired of of their pastor, you know, (laughs) this thing that I'm just seeing for the first time. And again, not seeing it for the first time, but seeing it with new eyes. I don't mean to say that just by being in proximity to you, engaging with people in my life, uh, those who've been on the receiving end of injustice. I don't want to presume to say that I have full understanding, but I can see. I was blind. I now can see. I don't know what the best <laughs> image other than being woke is. <laughs> yeah. And that's the totality of Amazing Grace, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. I love hearing Jeff talk about it as to how we see grace as this individualism. And it's kind of an escape to deal with the holistic problem we have as a community. And so we're so glad you came on our program to, as a millennial and as a white man, how you're still struggling, but yet in the fight, glad to be. So Pastor Moore, I'm going to hit rewind and not to be corrective, but I am solidly Gen X, not a millennial. Oh, you're Gen X? Okay. I wish I was that young. He's Um, way older than he looks. Oh, that's pretty neat. Okay, so. But I think that one of the key things that I want to share is this, that by virtue of a few things, one, I went to Pike High School, right? Grew up in and have lived in a rather racially diverse context. I have multicultural family members and people that I love, and for Gosh, for the first 12 years of my kids' lives, we lived in a predominantly African-American neighborhood. And in many ways, I had deluded myself to thinking that proximity was understanding. Does that make Mm. sense, Jeff? Yep, yep. Say more about that because we talk a lot about proximity as an essential first step. It's important. So you have to have (laughs) proximity before you can have any sort of understanding, but Tease that out a little bit. What do you mean when you say proximity is not the same as? Yeah. 
So I would say that I'd never used the descriptive term colorblind for myself, but I think I thought I was colorblind because mm-hmm. look, you know, yeah. look at where I am and look at who's around me. But I think that by virtue of out of just wanting to be polite, just not bringing up race, <laughs> right. it was here are these people that I'm in proximity to, including my own wife including the impact of being an Asian woman. She grew up in Carmel and the impact of those sorts of effects of injustice on her life. So you can be in great proximity, but not necessarily moving towards understanding and intimacy. And I would say that that's been one of the key things that's happened over this last year and a half. Those people that are in my life, who are not coming from the place of privilege to engage them, to you know, let them share with me and engage about what it actually is like to be them in this context. What was the trigger point? What was the moment when the light bulb, and maybe it wasn't a light bulb. I talk about my story all the time as a kind of a progressive sunrise, but was there a moment where you thought, okay, I'm behind on this conversation? Yes. And what was that moment? Ahmed Arbery. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So when you ask the question, I have a profound (laughs) memory of, was it early May of last year, of seeing yet another unarmed black man in the most, you know, heinous, no ex, there is no... (laughs) trying to explain this one away. He was chased down and murdered in broad daylight, and we have a recording of it. And come to find out, it had happened, what, 10 weeks prior before we found out about it? And and something just happened. Something just broke in me. Yeah. And how many weeks later was George Floyd's murder captured and watched before the world? But for me, it was Ahmed Arbery. And, you know, it's in the middle of the quarantine, early May. We're still in the quarantine and I'm just thinking through everything. The lights went on. And in many ways, I just want to speak this right now. I was chastened definitely in regard to those who I love, who have been, I don't like to use the word victim, but they have lived under the assault, the insidious toxin of, uh, you know, that demonic force of racial injustice in our nation. I was chastened in regard to those that I love, but actually my friend Jeff was one of the people that I most wanted to to come to and repent because he has been with great courage and conviction and consistency. Yeah. Speaking this truth not just to his congregation but to me his dear friend. And I thought I was with him. I thought I knew what he was talking about. And I recognize that there was so much that I had not wanted to see. And if I'm honest, there was so much of the difficulties that I saw him, you know, they tend to kill prophets. And I saw him navigating these sorts of difficulties. And so I had taken the quiet and complicit route and and I repent. I'm continuing to repent. <laughs> and so that was the moment that began the awakening for me. 
obviously wow. George Floyd a few weeks after that. And all of a sudden, certain words that I had been one of the people that had been particularly fragile about, white fragility is for real, and I can mm. speak to it from my own life because I have been white and fragile. <laughs> and I Amen. remember around the time of Ferguson, starting to hear Christian brothers and sisters using language of white supremacy. And for me, white supremacy only means one thing. You know, it means hoods and it means burning crosses and it means swastikas. And I came to understand, <laughs> I'm still coming to understand what white supremacy is and what it means and other truths that I had not wanted to hear about my own complicity, even thinking in terms of systemic injustice, you know, rather than within Jeff and my tradition, you know, I was focusing on the individual sin. And if we just get enough people to be nice and to love each other, then, then everything will get better. And yeah, so coming to understand. Wow. So now that you're on this journey, I remember when Pastor Jeff and I started talking and he introduced me to you over coffee. He said, I think that's a, a friend of mine that, that would be good to kind of come alongside of us. And so, and I was very hesitant because I've been around white pastors before that aren't really ready for this journey. And I'm too tired to carry white people that really aren't really ready to make some kind of transformational step, not a transactional step. Hey, I got a black friend. I preached at this black church. What da 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 da? I wanted to be in relationship with guys who really are wanting to take some steps of transformation. And so when he introduced your name to me, and then once I got to know you, I was really amazed that I now have two incredible young men of the European descent that really are, their hearts really are toward God in this area of racial reconciliation. And I think that that is an anomaly in, in, in Indianapolis. I'll say that for sure. And so I think that you guys have a great calling. But I know, like you said, uh, it has cost Pastor Jeff. How has it changed your preaching, the proclamation of the gospel, Todd, as you now look at scripture, as you begin to share with the congregation? Has it flavored your preaching any? Yeah, a couple of things come to mind. One is that our tradition Jeff and mine, is hyper-individualistic. And one of the ways that we, as preachers, help to perpetuate this is that when we look at a scripture, we're always seeing it and preaching it and applying it on an individual level. And one of the difficulties with that is that, yes, <laughs> the gospel is speaking to me and decisions that I am being called to make. But to recognize that my story is part of this much larger story that God is involved in. And I would say that Pastor Moore, whether from yourself or some other African-American pastors who have either participated in groups with us or that I've come into relationship with, the lens of Scripture and seeing a story starting with not only a community trying to live this out together, but also to see that it's not just about 
the individual families in a church community or a neighborhood being impacted, but that the gospel's power to impact brokenness in our culture and those systems that if we just stay on a, an individualistic level, we'll never get to. And I think that, can I just say this? That just seems demonic to me. It, yeah. it seems like a way of keeping evil working that sort of takes the pressure off of the forces of, of evil. Just keep them thinking about themselves, <laughs> just applying it individually. Yeah, They won't get around to thinking, huh, this gospel stuff, if we really do believe that not only will one day all things be made new, but if the um, Revelation 21 image is the one who's on the throne saying, behold, I am making all things new, that this is something that is already underway that we're invited to participate in. And as long as I'm just thinking about me, my little part of making all things new, yeah, that's good and I'm thankful for it. But there's so much more that God is calling me and calling his people for such a time as this. The word privilege, if I can go back to some of the things that I was awakened about, mm-hmm. that word privilege was really troubling to me when I heard people talking about me and my privilege. What do you mean I'm privileged? You don't know my story, the difficulties that I've been through. And yeah, I've been through some some difficulties. But so much of how my story has ended up where I am right now, I do believe is the result <laughs> of me having been born as a Caucasian man in America. And to recognize being born a white man in America is not something that I need to repent of, but not being aware of the privileges that that comes with. And then also not, with God's help, (laughs) offering that which he has given to me, to his people, to the church, to be a part of addressing areas of injustice that... I might be uniquely situated to speak truth to a particular power or to be actively involved in some sort of peacemaking. So I do believe that just acknowledging that privilege, submitting it to the Lord and saying, Lord, what do you want to do with this person as a part of your people to address your heart, to show your heart during this time that we have? Absolutely. And preaching the gospel is, again, to see the challenges of race uh, and injustices throughout Scripture. I'm in a series now on Ruth. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I've come to understand is one of the reasons that Naomi didn't really want to take Ruth back to Bethlehem is that there was a part of her that was afraid mm-hmm. that her people back home might not accept this Moabite woman. Now, who looks at the story of Ruth like that? Right. You know, that's what, when you begin to start looking at it through a social justice lens, and you don't want to preach it every Sunday, but you don't want to ever not preach it either. If you're going to be, to me, a true proclaimer of the whole gospel. And when white pastors don't challenge their congregations, I think they become complicit in the systemic propagation of racial inequality. But I know it cost Jesus his life to preach against the system. And I know that you as a young pastor also have to weigh the cost of handling the whole matter of the gospel. And so I just wondered how you handle that risk. So Pastor Moore, if I might just say that your example there of Ruth is one of the, every time that we're together, you give me an insight into scripture. I'm like, I'd never 
thought about it that way. I've never seen it that way. I'm so personally blessed by that. And I would say that that's akin to this morning I was working on this Sunday's text is about Mark chapter 10, the healing of Bartimaeus. And I know how I would have preached this two years ago. And this morning as I was thinking about what it meant for Bartimaeus as this voice from the margins, this voice that was actually in the very moment that Jesus is there was trying to be pushed further to the margins. Okay, you're already somebody who lives not just as a beggar, but it says that he's outside of the city. So he's literally yeah. pushed you know, to the margins of society, but he's the very one who speaks the most clear and direct. He's the first proclamation of Jesus's messianic character publicly. So he's the one that declares Jesus to be the son of David. I don't know if you guys, have you had Dennis Edwards on, Dr. Dennis Edwards? Not yet. Dr. Dennis Edwards is one of those voices that's been really helpful for me over the last year and a half. And he wrote a book called Might from the Margins. And it's this lens to see that, wait a second, this is how God works. You know, he's, he's working through the very people that we might not only not want to hear from, but might do all that we can to suppress what they have to say. They're the ones that we need to hear most. And as recently as this morning, as I'm looking at a text that historically, yes, it can apply to me and my spiritual blindness and the things that Jesus wants to heal in me, that's true. But I think that there's something really specific about the positioning of this blind man. At the end of Mark chapter 10 begins with the Pharisees, those with privilege and power who are religious and they know the Bible, doing all that they can to stop Jesus in his ministry. And the chapter is bookended by here's your ideal disciple. Here's the one who is positioned not just to follow after Jesus, but to declare the realities of what he's like. And it's the insight of one who has lived on the margins. And I want to see through those sorts of eyes. Which is a different posture than charity or feeling sorry for people because they have been marginalized. What I hear you saying is something different than that. What I hear you saying is that there's also a giving up of your power and privilege in order to experience and see the kingdom through eyes that you don't have because of that power and privilege. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Bartimaeus, I appreciate his perspective. Like, no, no, literally he sees Jesus. He's and he's blind, isn't that interesting? But he's mm. the one who sees Jesus and I don't want to just get a slightly better perspective. I want to be willing to say maybe I've never even seen him before. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. I just think of the the whole Naomi Ruth saga in scripture. Is the same lineage that Jesus came down through, hmm. which is, yep. I often tell my white brothers and sisters that they're going to be so surprised when they get to heaven. And Revelation chapter one is going to come out at them when Jesus walk out on the stage, brown and a woolly hair. <laughs> yep. I wonder what white evangelicals are going to think about that. Let it be. <laughs> yeah. It'll be a wake-up call for us. But we need to what? Wake up now, right? That's right. And that's why we love to hear the testimonies of people like Pastor Todd on Pastor Jeff. Pastor Jeff, I'm going to let you ask some questions now. Well, and I think Todd and I have had similar experiences, but just even from your perspective, there is your personal awakening, which I think is, again, 
the scriptures are fraught with wake up, O sleeper, right? So this is a very biblical thing that we are engaged in. This is the gift of God to shine light where there's yeah. darkness, to bring us into the space of truth. And so as you've been walking this journey, and we know it's progressive, it happens over a long period of time, we're never going to get to be where we should be, but we're not where we were. And and yet then there's also this dual sort of leadership space that you occupy. There's your discipleship, and then there's leading a congregation in a direction towards Jesus and their discipleship. And sometimes those things don't happen at the same pace or in the same way. How has your leadership been affected by your own ongoing formation in this way? So I think that something about being woke is being able to see things in new ways. And I think that there's something about the word lament that I'd never understood previously. And a big thing that I've felt called to do was to lead our folks in lament. And to lament is not just to wish that something hadn't happened, but to take a really good, hard look at reality, to take a really good, hard look at your part in it, and even to recognize that, well, in the Book of Lamentations, written by Jeremiah, he himself hadn't been actively involved in idolatry, but he sees his own place within it. And you know, to help the folks in my context, yes, to take good, hard, honest looks at their own lives, but regardless of what part they've played in the brokenness of the culture that we're in, they are in that culture. And can we learn just to speak the truth of this is the reality? It was about a year ago right now, we used the video series for The Color of Compromise as a church. And mm. I think we were yep. still in a, an online reality at that point. And so we were doing a couple of Zoom groups, watching the videos, having conversations around it. And for those who were ready to take a look at that sort of a story, and I don't know if you guys have talked about the book and the resources around Color of Compromise, but it's this powerful telling of the American church's story and its part, its complicity, its allowing to happen so much of the racial and otherwise injustices in our culture and in the history of this nation. And I'm a church history buff, and there was so much about it that I just didn't know. I just didn't know that this is both true of what the church has done, true of what individuals that we herald as the champions of the American faith and to realize, wow, these folks really got it wrong and I didn't know about it. And that's not okay for me to just not know about it, that we need to, to take a good hard look at this, lament it. But here's the gospel. Here's the good news. <laughs> when we take a good hard look at our sin, <laughs> and as long as we're in these bodies, the bottom of our sin you know, won't be something that we'll be able to get all the way to. But the gospel goes all the way down individually, and I believe will go all the way down in the healing of the world. And so understanding that the gospel is much bigger than just my individual salvation, that the gospel also gives me the confidence to be able to just see reality for what it is, both my own sin and the sin of my forefathers and the sin of you know some of our actual 
spiritual fathers who are still ministering around us. Yeah, we cannot negate the reality of the warfare, the spiritual warfare that the three of us are in when we start talking about this subject matter. You know, I often share with my white brothers and sisters that I wasn't in the garden. Adam was in the garden. But what Adam did, the Bible teaches that we are all a part of that. And so even though I didn't eat of that fruit, whatever that fruit was, yet because I am from, I'm the posterity of that as a man, I have been colored, I have been tainted. And so oftentimes when you talk about white privilege, folk want to say, well, I didn't, I don't think like that, or I didn't cause that. But yet you have benefited immensely from a system that has for 400 years have created an underclass of brown and black people. And now you've been married to an Asian woman. You are also getting another whole sense of the historicity of injustices that are also coming to light as more and more Asian Americans are getting hurt as a result of just being an Asian American. Todd, as a white pastor who is awakening to this, and as you alluded to earlier in the conversation that, you know, you feel like a little bit behind the game, but, you know, we just know that God's timing is God's timing and we come to respond to the Holy Spirit Sometimes in mysterious ways, the wind blows where it will, and we don't know where it's coming from. And you got whacked by it about a year and a half ago. But what, looking back on now, would you want to say to other pastors out there who are maybe in the space that you were, maybe thinking, yeah, I think I got this. I think I understand what's going on. But the difference between where you find yourself now, still in process, obviously, but then the difference from where you were, what would you want to share with your colleagues? Yeah, I think that my main word, both to any colleagues that are listening right now or to actual colleagues that I've spoken to, has been the good news, among other things, is that we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid to bring the whole thing into the light. And that's my story. That's the story of the church that you might be ministering in. That might be the history of that church. You know, think about just the common ground building and the truth of the injustice and brokenness that was associated with ministry that happened in that space. And we can be honest about that. And we can be honest about the church in America. And for those of us who come from evangelical spaces, we don't have to be afraid to say, look, the evangelical church has just in so many ways missed it. And that some of the retellings of the evangelical story, which was always, well, those who were fighting against slavery and those that were on the front lines of the civil rights movement were evangelicals. Well, there might have been some, and thank God for those that were there. But that was not true of the majority of our forefathers. And we can just look at that honestly. And as we lament that which has been, we can stand before the Lord and say, thank you for your forgiveness. Help us to live differently. Help us to walk a new path in the days ahead. Yeah. 
And it's unfortunate. It's not just something that's happening in the past. The conversation continues to get reframed anytime there's a movement forward towards the destruction of those systems. The enemy helps us by reframing the argument. And so even in our current day and time, there is a lot of resistance to having this conversation. Like in some circles, this would be almost heretical. Yeah. So if I can speak with some specificity, I went to a seminary that was right down the street from where Jonathan Edwards' ministry was. And we read Jonathan Edwards and we thought a lot of him. And I actually didn't understand a lot of what he had to say. But the truth is Jonathan Edwards owned slaves and that was wrong and he should have known better. (laughs) And we can look at that honestly, not just being judgmental of it, but we can be, you know, recognizing of not only the truth of the man, but also the truth of how that influenced his thought and how his thought has influenced our tradition for hundreds of years. And we can look at that honestly. We don't have to be defensive about that. And Today, the current issues that continue to come up around language of CRT, and we need to, at least this is my encouragement, (laughs) brothers and sisters. Can you speak that? Can you just speak it instead of? We do not need to be, CRT is not the enemy. Yes. (laughs) Satan is the enemy. Injustice is the fruit of operating in different ways than God intended in the world. And CRT is not the problem. And critical race theory. Yes. I just wanted you to speak that. Critical race theory is not the issue. And almost without fail, when I hear people get especially upset about critical race theory, it feels like they're trying to stop or to put up some sort of a shield from having a conversation about you know, things going on in their own lives and things going on in our culture. As we close, uh, Pastor Jeff and Pastor Todd, I think about an American hero who recently died in the name of Colin Powell. Hmm. Yep. And Colin Powell, in his memoir, as great of a man as he was, he admitted that he had made a mistake in helping perpetuate the war in Iraq. So all of us, no matter how great we are, there comes a time when we must look at the historicity of our own lives and be able to admit and not be afraid, as you said, Pastor Todd, to admit that I was a part of one of the, I think, one of the most catastrophic events in American history, and that was to go to war in Iraq. He admitted that. He repented of that. He lamented of that. And I think that he took that to his grave, that sorrow. But he he lamented. And I think that is such great advice to other pastors is to not be afraid to admit that even some of our greatest heroes were imperfect in regards to this issue of race and justice. Thanks for that illustration, Pastor Moore. He's been on my mind as we've been talking. I just heard the news about his passing. And uh, what a man of so much integrity. And that willingness to speak that truth about what it was that he missed and his complicity in it, indeed, I think actually you know, made this last season of his life him even more of a, a person of impact. Pastor Moore is showing us a picture of him and his wife with yeah. Colin Powell. I met him a few years ago. He was not afraid. Yeah. 
to admit his part in a very catastrophic mistake. And I think that's where God wants us individually to not be afraid. And then he began to take steps to mitigate that system's error. And it's us believing the scriptures. We say we're Bible people. Yeah. And we just need to apply the Bible. The first John's just been ringing the whole time you've been talking, Todd, and the whole time you've been talking, Pastor Moore. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. Amen. And to purify us from all unrighteousness. When we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship Mm. with one Mm. another. Wow. And this is where I like without confession, there's no reconciliation, right? Until we're willing to confess our sin, the fellowship will always be less than it could be. The grace is always a smaller measure than it should be because we have been unwilling to just acknowledge what is true. And of all of the groups right now who are on all sides of the issue of racial equality and racial injustice, the church has the language and the story that leads us into the light. We have the prescription. Amen. Todd, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a really, really helpful conversation, and I'm hopeful that it's been helpful for those of you who have been listening. Todd referenced a couple of resources that I will make sure are in the notes to the show. There'll be links there that you can follow. But Todd, we just want to say thank you again. Yes. Not only being with us, but for the willingness that you have, even 20 years into your ministry career, to continue to grow as a pastor and as a person. And it's just really inspiring to me to just hear the process that God has you in. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jeff. Thank you so much, Pastor Moore. I will definitely want to just emphasize this. Sisters, brothers, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And this lens of light and truth that he's bringing into our lives is for our blessing, for the blessing of others. And this is not just a word to self-flagellate and some sort of white guilt. No, this is a time to say, here's reality, and we're being invited into something much better together. Amen. Amen. Thanks. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Shades of Hope. We would like to hear from you. Send us your thoughts and questions at shadesofhopepodcast at gmail.com. That's shadesofhopepodcast at gmail.com. We would also appreciate it if you could leave us a review and rate us wherever you access this podcast. Thank you again, and may God bless you as you follow Jesus and strive to make this world a better place for all of God's children.